Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, guys. Welcome back. EYL Atlanta edition. We're still yeah, here. Still here. Yeah, we haven't left yet for sure. So yeah. this one this one is going to be a good one. It comes courtesy of our family, Bam, Vincent. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Might be, Bam. You finally did something. <laughs> 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 nah, this, this, this was a dope one, though. When I, when I saw this story, it was, it was very unique and very interesting. I'm like, ah, we definitely got to cover this. This is dope. Yeah. So I'll... Jasmine Crow, entrepreneur, and um, it's, it's really dope. So she's the founder of a company named Gooder. Gooder. Got it. Gooder. And um, it's interesting because... I realized that after doing some research that there's 72 billion pounds of food that um, ends up in landfills yeah. every, every year. One out of seven people um, suffer from food insecure, insecure. Is that what it's called? Yeah, and I think now it's even like one out of five because of everything that's going on with just mm. coronavirus and the pandemic. Just so many more people are, are going hungry. And what's crazy is that 72 billion pounds, that's just from businesses. So that doesn't include the food that we throw away yeah. in our households. That's something like 161 billion. So this is like grocery stores, colleges, restaurants, 
you know, stadiums, that's who throws away that 72 billion pounds. That's, and that's, that's just the United States. Just that's not US. even a world that's issue. That's just the U.S., yeah. which is crazy. That's it's definitely enough food to in hunger yeah. that and, is in the landfills. And then also there's a $218 billion annually spent on uh, in the U.S. to grow, process, and transport food that's actually disposed and never eaten. Yeah. So I say that to say, obviously, there's a lot of food that's wasting and there's a lot of people that's hungry. So Jasmine came up with a company that actually takes the food that's actually being, that would be thrown away and actually feeds it to, to um, people in need. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the business models. It's interesting. The whole story is interesting. Yeah. And it's very unique business. Um, but first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I feel honored. And welcome to Atlanta. It's a <laughs> great city. You guys may never want to leave. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure in, in different times we could show you even much more fun. But as you can see, Atlanta is still kind of still, still moving. <laughs> even still, still, yeah. Nothing. Didn't miss a beat. Yeah, yeah they haven't seen <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, kind of feels like old times out yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wear your mask inside places, and that's pretty much about it. Depending on what places you're in. <laughs> As we've learned. That's a fact. Um, all right. So how did this start? How did this start? How did it go to start? Because like I said, I mean, it seems like such a brilliant idea, but I haven't heard of anybody else doing it. Um, so what gave you the idea to actually think like, right, this is actually something that could be a business? You know, before I started Gooder, I had this company called Black Celebrity Giving, which I'm actually going to revamp. And I would work, as you can guess, with black celebrities. Um, worked with a host of celebrities. So I started Futures Foundation, um, Candy Burris, so many more. And I would help them do their community giving, right? So defining their giving blueprint. And what I realized is I was extremely busy around Christmas, Thanksgiving, and back to school. Like, that's when everybody wanted to do something. And then throughout the rest of the year, I would kind of just be void of work. And so I started an initiative called Sunday Soul, and I started going out and feeding people right here in downtown Atlanta every two weeks that were homeless. And started then taking it to senior homes and just feeding in senior homes. And mind you, I was just taking donations, using my own money, couponing, price matching, cooking all the food, going out, feeding 500 people every two weeks, you know, coming back, cleaning up my kitchen. So this process would take me like 40 hours every single, every other week to do this. And so a video from one of my pop-up restaurants that I would host went viral on Facebook. And I woke up one morning, thousands of comments, friend requests, views, and, you know, millions of views later, I'm reading through the comments one day, and people were saying, oh, this is so amazing. Who donates the food? And the reality was like, nobody. And I'm like, dang, like, it would make a lot more sense if I could get this food donated so that I wouldn't have to cook it and price match and go to five and six different grocery stores. And that's just a simple Google search, you know, what happens to extra food at the end of the night from restaurants. I stumbled across food waste. And I'm like, I really quite honestly got upset because I'm like, dang, like all this food, 72 billion pounds of food is going to waste. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, taking $5 donations here and there, trying to feed, you know, hundreds of people. And at the same time, these businesses are throwing away all this food. And I think that's really where that first initial idea kind of came from. So the, the Soul uh, Sundays was an idea at first, and then it moved into 
Soul Restaurant, Soul Sunday Restaurant. Yeah, and you know, the reason why I did that is because people would sometimes be lined around the block, mm -hmm. I mean, hours in line for like an hour and a half, two hours sometimes yeah. to eat. And I always used to let women and children go first. And one time this man, you know, there was a little argument I noticed kind of at the line. I think he was arguing with somebody. And I went back and I was like, no, sir, you know, I've been cooking for three days. I promise you there's more than enough food for everybody. And he really checked me. and He said, you know, I've been waiting in line for almost an hour. If I don't eat today, you know, I don't know when I'm going to eat again because nobody ever comes out here during the week. So, you know, right. I was out there on Sundays. And I just started thinking, like, dang, like, how often do I wait for, like, an hour and 30 minutes to get food? Like, never, right? Like, yeah. if it's I can't get a reservation, I'll go to a different restaurant, like, I really rarely would ever wait someplace and stand up an hour and 30 minutes to get a plate. And then I realized I wasn't giving them a place to sit down. You know, I just wasn't doing it right. I was doing it from the heart, but I could do it better. And so then I started renting tables and chairs and linens, and I would make these little menus and print it out and let people kind of sit down and dine with dignity. So yeah, I they love felt that. Like they I love that. A restaurant. Yeah. And then if we were on a wait, you know, I'd be yeah. like, come back in 30 minutes. And the thing is, Everything was ready. So the food came out really quickly, but it was a five-course meal. We're going to start with an appetizer, soup or a salad. Um, I'm sorry, soup and salad. Mm -hmm. Then an entree, two side items, and desserts. And, I mean, people loved it. Like, I had to send you guys some pictures and yeah. videos. It, it just was huge. And so the first one I ever did went viral. And the rest was history. Yeah. When, I, when I was reading your story, it was, like, kind of aligned because that's kind of what we were doing in the summer with our kids. Uh, we would go to uh, my church because we had a homeless outreach and we would feed the homeless every Saturday. And it was like the feeling of giving is just like incredible. And like watching the kids be fulfilled by it made it even better. And yeah. their thing was like, yo, can we do this again? Can we do this again? And when you said that phrase, dying with dignity, it was like, that's it. Because nobody in that room ever expects to be in that room. Exactly, you know, and one of the things I like to, I used to always do with Sunday Souls is I always had options, you know, and, I, and I've had to check my mom, friends, because they'll say things like, oh, you know, they're homeless, you can feed them anything, and I would be like, no, you know, your homelessness is just something that you're going through, right. just like hunger is something you're going through, you're not always going to be homeless, you're not always going to be hungry, but you could lose your job, you know, businesses could close, I mean, look what we're seeing happening right now with coronavirus, and I always would have, you know, a beef option, a pork option, a fish option, and I mean, people used to, people have religious convictions, they had dietary restrictions, mm -hmm. and that level of just giving people dignity. Like, yeah. what would you like? Not just, here's a sandwich that I made for you, but like, what would you like? And that is why I think, I mean, people used to come, I had a family, I'll never forget, there was like six kids, they had a house, but they would, they used to have to sell their food stamps to pay their rent. Mm. And they would get on the martyr, and they knew I would be out there, and they would come and get food for the kids and get, like, extra to-go plates. Like, that's how busy and how popular it had got that families were starting to come through. And I mean, maybe, like, a year or two after that, like, two chains ended up getting them a house for the family to live in. Oh, wow. So just like that, you know, just to see how it all kind of turned around. But they used to sell their food stamps to pay their rent, get on the bus with all their kids just to come down because they had – options for their kids yeah there should never be a choice between food or bills like yeah. that that's crazy and everybody that's the that's what you said i mean that's a critical choice that everybody makes yeah is i'm gonna pay and then what we find is food always goes first because people could say like oh i could go without food or what they do is the parents the adult will go without food and I've had tons of friends. I, I mean, I think Jeezy even was talking about it in an interview. Like, he used to see his mom, like, split a cheeseburger between him and I think his sister, whoever his other sibling was. And just, like, if you guys think back to that, like, I don't recall being hungry, but, you know, I'm pretty sure my parents, our parents could have been hungry just to see us have. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot. 
Yeah, we hear those stories all the time. It made me think of the line like most when uh, was it Seagull? He said most nights they sleep for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like that's crazy. But you think of you know Meek Mill talking about oodles and noodle kids. I mean that's so many. I have a program right now in Atlanta. If you guys are still here, y'all should come out every weekend. I feed um, in this community. It's called Forest Cove. It's probably one of the the most destitute communities I've ever seen. And you know I I've, I've been doing this work for over a decade. Um, but a lot of the buildings, roofs are off and everything else. And we'll feed the kids and, you know, they will we'll have excess food for them to take home. And they just always want the noodles. They always want, like, you know, we try and give them green beans and, like, mashed potatoes. <laughs> and they don't ever like that. They don't like it because it's just they haven't had it. So, like, we're, we're out there every single week really trying to push this on them for them to have, like, healthy food and healthy access. But so many kids go without. And for, for kids and children of color, which is why it's super important for me to be in this position and trying to do what I'm doing with Gooder, you know, people like us have to solve the problems. Too long, you know, people write the statistics, they get all the money, they get all the grants, and they're solving problems that they never experienced before, whereas I have friends, I have family members that have been hungry. I know, I mean, very few people that don't look like me are going to go into Forest Cove, you know, a Section 8 housing community where, you know, there are drugs, there's crime, and really try and get to those children, but that's who gets all the money. You know, that's, I mean, billions and billions of dollars is spent in grants. You know, at the start of COVID, Jeff Bezos gave $100 million to Feed in America. And it's not to say that Feeding America, you know, doesn't serve a purpose, but they've been around since the 70s. They've gotten billions and billions of dollars doing the same thing. You know, just give, you know, having food banks, giving food to nonprofits, and it's always just whatever is donated. And then they end up giving people, you know, peanut butter, no jelly, spaghetti, noodles, no spaghetti sauce. And people can't make a meal from what, what it is that they receive. And so what I've tried to do with Gooder is actually get people meals. Or if nothing else, if I'm giving them groceries, everything that they're getting in that grocery bag is going to make a meal. They're going to get a taco kit. They're going to get, you know, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. And bread, like the things that they would actually need. And it's it's a hard, you know, curve to get around because, unfortunately, I sometimes think people want to pacify hunger rather than solve it. Because if you solve hunger, then there's no more $100 million donations. Mm. Let me ask you this. Because, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting as far as, like I said, I don't think people realize how much food gets thrown away. Yeah. Um, before I even ask that question, I just want to make that point. Because it's like in New York, uh, there's 2 million rats <laughs> we just researched that, that. It? I'm yeah you know what we we speaking of hunger we'll get into that with two million rats yeah so here's how that is comes that about city or this state? that's in new york city this okay. came about we wow. were at an establishment we'll leave their name anonymous and they were closing their doors and they were like we we're like yo y'all closing i know y'all gonna throw the food away this is like before we knew that we were gonna do this and uh he was like yeah we're gonna throw the food away he was like yo we'll just, we'll just buy some off you right now and um, the conversation got brought up like, yo, you know what's happening in the city since the restaurants are closed? Like, the mice have nowhere to go. So they're just, like, doing all that out in the streets. They're eating each other. And so <laughs> I came up with a number that was wrong. <laughs> I'm saying that on tapes, folks. Uh, that was wrong. And I was like, yo, the city has this many rats. So we looked it up, and it was 2 million rats in New York what? City. Yeah, because oh, he, he said... I definitely actually, have seen quite a few rats when I was in the New York City. Yeah, two million different. is a number well, it, I was not expecting. It was actually a bet. Because <laughs> what? There are sixteen million people in New York. Well, there's, there's eight. eight. So there's eight. Almost nine million. There's eight. Nine there's, million. So there's almost like for what? every twenty-five percent of the population. Okay, so for every rat, there's like four people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah, it was it was a wager that um, <laughs> Troy Troy told me that there was more rats than people in New York City. So I just found that hard to believe. 
So we Googled it and we, we realized that it was two million, but it's still a lot. That's so, a lot. So I say that to say so that's more than the city of Boston. That's crazy. Yeah, there's, there's, two, crazy. there's two million rats in New York. So what, what what's happening is that you know there's a lot of restaurants in New York City, obviously. So at the end of the night, they throw they throw the food in like you know the trash, or they just it's throw it in the alleyways and all that. So what happens is that it's created a whole ecosystem for rats to eat. Like they know what time the food is going to go, and they eat the food on the streets. Uh, but once COVID hit, all the restaurants closed. So now they have videos of rats actually turning um, to cannibals. And they was actually eating each other because there was no food for them to eat. And it just got so desperate, like they was starving to death. And some of them actually, like they showed, like there's a videos online, they actually eating each other. You know, I got to go watch these tonight. That <laughs> is the craziest thing. Yeah, so, so I say that to say, I mean, you got a whole, in like, you know, system that animals are actually... I mean, animal feed off is something, you know, I'd rather the food go to an animal, even if it's a rat, right? Gooder, we take, X, our, our number one thing is hunger first, right? So our goal is to get anything that's edible and give that to someone that can actually eat it before it ever makes it to landfill. Not only did you, you turn this into an actual business, and you enlightened me that it's not a nonprofit, it's a B Corp. Yeah. All right, can you just explain what a B Corp is for people? Yeah, so B Corp basically means for profit, for good. It's super hard to become a certified B Corp. It took us over a year. And basically, it just, they check everything. So like who who our vendors are, kind of making sure that we're an ethical company. So um, for me, the reason why I turned this into, and I, and I have years of experience in nonprofits. I've started hundreds of nonprofits for some of the top celebrities. So it wasn't hard for me to think I could just turn this into a nonprofit. But why I chose to make it actually a business is because the businesses, these restaurants, whoever, they were already paying a waste management bill, so they were already paying to throw the food away. So that was very easy. It was a clear distinction for me to understand, okay, listen, they're paying somebody to throw the food away. Then I went and I started looking at the waste industry. It's a trillion, trillion-dollar industry, and then nobody ever, it never goes away. Like, have us, all of us have been paying, our parents have been paying a trash bill for forever. Every restaurant, every business pays a trash bill. So my idea was we would essentially be a food waste management company. We would focus on the food waste. And so we would help businesses come up with better uses for their excess food. And so, you know, they didn't have to throw it in landfill. They didn't have to, you know, let rats eat it. We could help them. And so we started with edible food, and then we started composting. We have hog farms. We actually have um, worms that we feed food waste to that produces fertilizer that makes the soil better. So as we grow more fruit and vegetables, it's healthier for all of us. And now we have a partnership with uh, Southern Power where we're actually taking food waste, and we could turn it into energy. We're trying to really get into to that more. So the idea is to keep it out of landfill because food waste is the number one, sorry, it's one of the leading causes, number three, uh, cause of global climate change. Yeah. I, was, I was just going to get into that because that's one of the things that you stress is like, this is not just a health issue. This is a social issue. It's an economic issue and it's an environmental. hundred So when, when we were, and this is true, um, when you're talking about how kids, like one out of five go to bed hungry, how that affects their learning. Yeah. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, and I think, you know, I always have to, as a black woman, I always have to say for black and brown children, so this is, you know, mostly Hispanic, even Native American as well, um, and black children, we are like one in three, one in four. So it's it's a lot worse. And so what happens is it's, it's this vicious cycle that never gets broken. And what we think is, you know, well, we give children free breakfast and lunch at school. Now look at this. All these schools are closed. And so think of how many children are like at home or were at home during the summer that were really dependent on free breakfast and lunch at school. Um, that happens. 
then you, we got to think that, you know, there are parents that are working. And so even when these kids get home, sometimes they don't get a hot meal. They have cereal for dinner or, you know, they have cereal for all these meals now. And what ends up happening is in 27 states in the United States, they measure test scores of children in third, fifth and 10th grade. And you know what they start to decide? is if those kids are going to go to prison or not. So it's really a school-to-prison pipeline. And so they're like, oh, you know, Johnny's not reading well. He's more likely to go to prison. We're going to need another prison bed for him. Or Susan is, you know, not doing well in math. But what they never look at is hunger. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I always use the, the uh, Snickers commercial, like you're not yourself when you're hungry. And that is so true because so many kids, they've never been their true selves. And so, you know, they are constantly hungry, and so they're always playing catch-up. They get free breakfast at school. Well, they didn't eat dinner last night, yeah. so then the breakfast is replacing the dinner. Okay, the lunch comes and replaces the breakfast. And so the kid is hungry. You know, they're sitting in class, and they're hungry. They're wondering when their next meal is going to come from, and it's even worse for the older siblings. I know you said you have children, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the older kid always is looking out for the younger ones. So now you're 12. And you've got like a five-year-old and a seven-year-old little brother, and you're wondering how you're going to eat, how they're going to eat, and no teacher could teach through hunger. And so what we have is this vicious cycle of kids not eating, but then people still expecting them to learn and, and sit in class and be quiet and be still and just, you know, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And that's the, the biggest thing is like we've got to get kids food. So our program that I just launched, Neighborhood Eats, we do, um, we serve lunch on Saturdays, a hot lunch on Saturday, a hot meal to go. Then we give the kids a snack pack that has like three meals and 12 snacks and three drinks in it for Sunday. So even though we're not physically there on Sunday, they get this. It has like last week's it had a chicken biscuit, Pop-Tarts, orange juice, um, a granola bar, and a Go-Gurt. So that was like their breakfast. That sounds like my breakfast. Yeah, so breakfast, right? <laughs> and then for lunch, they had like a little cheeseburger um, that they have to microwave, chips, like cookies, goldfish, applesauce. And then for dinner, I think it was like a, you know, like the little Chef Boyardee cups of like lasagna. Um, and then it has, you know, like carrots and ranch dressing, um, you know, fruit snacks. And then we give them like one piece of candy just because we want them to want the box and they'll really take it for the candy too. Yeah. And then we give them the drinks so that Kids will come out, and, I mean, they love those snack packs. We almost have to force them to eat the hot meal first, but that's what they want because it's, like, stuff that they know. But we are filling this gap for these kids where yeah. maybe they wouldn't ever get a meal on the weekend. Yeah, those are the socioeconomic factors that most people in education, especially the ones, like, I was in, working in the city for eight years. People forget that part. Yeah. They forget all the factors and all the, the baggage that comes when the kids get to school. Um, but from a social standpoint, um, I know you talk about how uh, hunger and the lack of food affects the crime rate. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, one of the things, I gave a whole TED Talk on this. You know, so many people, if you really start, I remember I was watching, um, there was a show on BET, and I think it was called Trap Queens. And I was, <laughs> I was watching it, and it was about these young women that were in jail. And one of them, she was saying, like, you guys, you know, you don't know, you know, she was like, the way I grew up, she grew up in Tampa, Florida, and she was talking about her and her, her sisters, them going and stealing change out of wishing wells and trying to put this money together just to go and get a burger or a Whopper from Burger King. Like, that level of, like, people doing whatever they got to do to eat. And one of my good friends, Don, um, from L.A., he's an older guy. I think Don might... He might almost be 60 now. But he told me, he was like, Jasmine, you know, I used to have to snatch people's purses when I was eight in Ohio just to eat. Like, that level of just, like, I don't have, like, desperation. You no. know, what, what do people do when they're, when they're desperate? And that's, you know, going back to Beanie Siegel, he raved about that, yeah. right? You know, pressure busts pipes. People, when you're desperation, you want your kids to eat and you want people to have something. It's just like, there's no telling what you're going to do. 
when you starve and, and you so, eat. Yeah, there's no telling what you're going to do. Yeah. So it does, it does, you know, so much so. There were so many crimes committed. So many people were stealing food from Walmart that now Walmart has a rule that I think if you steal less than $25, they just ban you from the store. They don't even call the cops. But there was just so many people stealing meat and just like it was happening so much. You know, you, you give everybody those charges. It just becomes a lot of charges. And yeah. just, you know, the police are coming out all the time. So that it's a real real crime but people get desperate you know people a mom has $25 to her name she's got a kid and she's got a baby you know what costs $25 infamil and so it's like gosh can I get my kid infamil and can I feed my other kid who doesn't drink infamil like it's just so many crimes happen because of people being hungry let me ask you this on the business side so you talked about um b corp but can you just explain like what a b corp is for yeah. people, because you know you said, like you said, Baskin and Robbins is a big quarter. Ben and Jerry's? Uh, ben and Jerry's, ben and Jerry's, ben and Jerry's Patagonia, Shea Moisture is one. Um, so really, it's just, it's, it's, it's no different than a regular corporation. So, you know, you still pay taxes, but it just means that you are certified that your business has ethical principles. So you're not using child labor. You're getting your supplies from the U.S., like that kind of level of just, but it basically means for profit, for good. It, so at the end of it, you, and what it means, what B means is benefit. So you're like a public benefit corporation. So that gooder, we operate for the benefit of public good. So we're not just for ourselves. If we get a customer and we get them to give us our give us their food, you know, we give that food back to the community. So we're, we're benefiting the community okay. in our actions. But the, the tax structure and everything is still the tax same. Tax structure is still the same. So like there's, and it's, and B Corps are only recognized, I want to say in like seven states. Okay. Delaware is one of them. But Gooder is like a Delaware C Corp. And we're a foreign entity in Georgia. But we're, we're a C Corp here as well. So we still pay corporate taxes. Okay. But we are recognized as a certified. So you incorporated in Delaware. Yeah, I, I incorporated in Delaware early on. Tax because benefits. Because I knew tax benefits, and I knew I was going to be trying to get investors, and so that's just kind of the best way. Any, I think anybody that's in venture capital will tell you to incorporate in Delaware. Yeah. I mean, I almost have heard people that were were incorporated in other states, and then they went out to raise venture capital, and then they got incorporated in Delaware. You incorporate in Delaware. You have like a PO box out there. Mm, I don't even have a PO box out there. Yeah, anybody can incorporate in Delaware. And then I'm a foreign entity in Georgia. I have an office out here. So it's a it's a for profit business. But how do you make money if the restaurants like giving you food? Like, can you explain the business model? Absolutely. So we charge a volume based fee for service on our composting or our organics recycling as well as our surplus food recovery. Remember, they're already paying to throw the food away. So they're already, they're not paying us, they're paying waste management, they're paying Republic Solid. So we charge them based on how much food we're recovering and how often. And we have a sliding scale, so Gooder is very asset light. We don't own a lot of vehicles. We literally have one vehicle in all of, and we're in nine states now, we have one vehicle, but our partners are like Roadie, Omni Logistics, Postmates. So these are our drivers. So depending on how much food is being picked up, that determines the customer's price. We've done a lot of case studies. So like on a low end, a pickup for gooder could be $50. On a high end, it could be 1000 So you're not, you're not targeting restaurants. We target restaurants in a lot of locations. So we want to target like this one restaurant on this street. We like to target like an airport with 100 restaurants, a mm. mall with 30 restaurants. Because okay. um, I, I was going to say like your regular mom and pop, they just throwing food in the garbage. Yeah. But you're talking about like a... Or we like franchises too. Okay. So like we would, we've been doing some pilots with some pretty large franchises, um, and the goal is like all of you know, Wendy's for example says, you know what we're going to be zero waste. 
None of our stores are throwing away food. We're going to be committed to our communities across the country. And then now there's this gooder services available to all Wendy's owners and operators. Because it's, it's like part of their franchise when, fee. When I used to go to school in Hawaii, and what happens with grocery stores that people don't know is that, you know, when you have like an expiration date, you got to throw the food away. But even before that expiration date, when the expiration date doesn't always mean the food is like not eatable. It's usually the sell by date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the sell by date. But so long story short, they got to get rid of that food. So, like, where I lived, it was, like, student housing. Like, a, like a, it was, like, apartments, but it was, like, mostly students. So they used to come, like, every Wednesday, and they would just drop off, like, all of the food that the... That, the, that was um, great. Yeah, so they so didn't throw it away. They didn't throw they it away. They, they gave it to us. So it was, like, bread, um, yogurt, milk, stuff like that. Did you guys see Tiger King? Yes. Did you want to see that? No. Did you see it? was so. It was Tiger King? I heard about it. Yeah, 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 I watched that one. Yeah, you might be one of the only people. So yeah, you gotta yeah, watch yeah. Tiger King, but you saw it, so you'll know. Yeah. There was a, there was a one of the episodes they showed like how Walmart was bringing all the food to them, and his workers would go through the food first and kind of like pick out the food like that. So much of the food is just like you said; it's like it has a sell by date on it. For example, the power goes out. They throw everything out in the freezer and cool cooler section, like everything, like right away. So as soon as, even if the power goes out for like 20 minutes, now the food is all, they have to clear the shelves. And so this, it's not bad because, you know, you could it could take you 20 minutes to get home from the grocery store. So for us, we try and get the food fast. This is why we use these logistics partners. So the food gets picked up say, from this Walmart, and we will have a network of nonprofits in any city that we're at, thousands of nonprofits, and we would match, the, we built an algorithm that matches the donation with the closest nonprofit. And so the food would get delivered really fast. So then if it can get to be frozen, and a lot of times, especially with meat, you go to any grocery store, Publix is notorious for it here in Atlanta, but you go to any grocery store like around 8 o'clock, you'll see like these meat managers just filling up these carts of meat that they're going to throw away. And I get mad at that because, you know, you guys, our grandmothers would freeze anything, mm -hmm. right? Freeze it, like, I mean, just freeze something for forever. And a lot of times if you look at the meat, it will say sell or freeze by. So when they throw it away, it makes no sense because they could also freeze it yeah. and just give it to a nonprofit the very next day. And then it's like... It's perfectly good food, but they throw it away. All the rotisserie chickens, I feel like something like 1.5 million rotisserie chickens are wasted a week in America. So you think of every grocery store you go to, they have all those chickens in the deli counter. Yeah. Like whatever is on that hot bar, they throw away every night. Every grocery store, whatever's on the hot bar. So Publix, I'll use them again as an example. Or, you know, Kroger's, all that stuff, the wings, the, the fried chicken, whatever they make, all that gets thrown away. The rotisserie chickens, all that gets thrown away. And that stuff upsets me because that's like somebody's meal right then and there. Yeah. So Gooder needs to be in more places. Um, the liability, people always say like, oh, well, if they donated and someone gets sick, you know, could they sue us? In America, there's been a law since 1996 under President Bill Clinton called the Good Samaritan Act that really protects businesses mm -hmm. from liability with donating something in good faith so businesses that's not even a, an excuse anymore and there's actually a lot of policy and stuff that's actually coming in into play in states like new york and states like california who you know the carbon dioxide and all the methane gas that's leading in the environment because of so much food waste is becoming a problem um they are actually making businesses have to find other ways to divert their food waste yes. instead of just throwing it away. So the PATH Act, I was going to get into that. The yeah. PATH Act, is that part of that initiative? PATH Act is new. That was under um, Obama, so that's 2012. And so the PATH Act actually gives these businesses 
enhance incentives for donating the food. So they can write off two times the cost. So if it costs them a dollar, they can write off $2 if they donate it. So like the businesses could actually be essentially receiving money and like $40 billion a year in tax credits just goes wasted from these businesses. So a lot of it is just educating them on it and then, you know, just getting past all like the layers of like legal uh, but other countries are doing it, and they're very successful. In Denmark, there's a whole grocery store called Food for All where they get all this food from all these grocery stores, and then they just people can pay what they can. Mm-hmm. So it's illegal to waste food. France, businesses could be fined up to, I want to say it's like 10,000 euro for each occurrence of wasting food, which is a lot of money. I think 10,000 euro is probably like 12,000 here, almost 11,000. Well, you know, you know what's, what's interesting, too, about Europe is that so – when you start to travel, you realize that America is like different from other parts of the world, where it's like the portions are very small. Because mm-hmm. even in America, place sizes are smaller. Yeah, yeah place sizes are small. Because I was, I remember, I was, um, I was in LA years ago, and um, I was in a, a like a conference, and like a bunch of my colleagues, we all went out, and I was the only black person there. Everybody was from different culture, and um, we was at like this fancy steakhouse, and we was eating, and I was hungry, so I ate. I ate my food, and I remember I never forget the guy. He was looking at me. He was like, "You must be hungry, huh?" It was like a joke, and I realized that it was like they looked, they frowned on it if you ate everything on your plate. Like they would leave food on their plate just to show I'm not starving. Like I mean, it was like it, it was like a thing. So, but it's just crazy because it's like you got the haves and have-nots, right? It's like people are literally starving, and then other people is literally purposely. Throwing food away just to, just to show I'm not, I know what I'm saying? Like, that's so, crazy. but that, that's, that's, a, that's an American way. And it's I like, used to not even be able to get up, you know, like they got to sit down until you eat all your food, like that level of nothing else. That, that's crazy. Yeah, because it's like, there's no such thing as a Big Mac in Europe and they don't have supersized drinks. So we, we order too much food. And yeah, the plate a, size has even grown yeah, up. Everything, plate every, size used everything to be seven inches. It's in way America. bigger, even yeah. like the, the portion, like, you're supposed to eat like five times a day. We'll eat like two huge meals a day that we can't eat. So people really don't think about it, but not only is it it's a shame because people are starving, but financially it's like you're trying to run a restaurant or a business. How much money are you wasting by having all this excess food that you're just throwing away? It's yeah. a lot. And I think one of the things that we've been able to prove, so what, what we do is one of the other kind of selling points for Gooder is we kind of have a data analytics piece to everything that we recover. So most people don't know what they waste. So one of, the, one of our customers, for weeks and weeks and weeks, they were, their number one wasted item was pork. And so this is a large corporate campus here in Atlanta, you know, one of the largest, oldest companies here. And what we found is, like, people had started to give up pork. You know, everybody around the New Year is like, oh, I'm not eating pork, I'm not eating this, I'm vegan, I'm this. And so Good without job. our tech, yeah, right? <laughs> but without our technology and without our analytics, they would have never known that. So they would have constantly been making pork every single day, having a pork option, and then half of their campus, maybe 75% of their campus didn't even eat pork. So that was something we were able to show them, and they were able to, like, reduce the amount of pork that they prepared. So a lot of it is just lack of knowledge. People don't even know. They're just producing, 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 Data. and stuff people yeah. don't, even, they don't even eat anymore. So, so where, did, where did the idea, the tech component of Gooder, because I know you, you have this uh, saying that tech, technology will solve hunger. I believe so, yeah. yeah. So where, where did the idea come from, like, was there a tech background somewhere in the no, journey? No, I'm not a technical founder at all. I mean, other than just using apps, you know, like I'm not. I gave you the title tech innovator. I'll take it. All right, I'll yeah. take it. Let's, let's use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think 
I was, um, I first became intrigued by the emergence of the food delivery app. So I was getting all those referral codes, and it was like, you know, get $10 off your first Uber Eats meals or your Postmate meal or whatever. And I was like, wow, it would be really cool if, you know, I could make an app in reverse that the restaurants and the businesses can use. When they have excess food, they can request a pickup. I'll go get it picked up, and I'll deliver it to a nonprofit. So that was like the initial idea. And then I just started really looking at everything else that technology was solving, right? And I was like, God, like... How can, why, why not use technology to try and solve hunger? Like, what do we have to lose? And that's just, you know, where I started going. And I will tell you, for about the first, you know, year when I first had this idea, so many people were like, oh, this is never going to work. I don't think it'll make money. Oh, no one's going to do that. And so I took that in. Like, it, that's a terrible thing to do, right? Nobody should ever listen to what someone else says about your vision and your goal, right? Because they're not on the journey with you. But because I wasn't a technical founder and I was going and meeting with people that were, you know, technical people, mm-hmm. I, w- I allowed them to tell me that it wouldn't work. And now, you know, five million pounds later that we've kept out of landfills and all these meals that we've provided, it does work. So, so can you just explain exactly how this works? So, all right, Walmart has excess food. You have an app that has a truck driver in East Atlanta. He picks the food up from Walmart and then he delivers it to the Salvation Army. So something like that, I mean, main thing is we have all of their inventory in our app. So when we onboard a customer, let's use Walmart, we'd have all their SKUs. And so Walmart could literally, like, skew something out and just tell it, you know, they could scan it with a a skew gun, and it would really calculate everything. So then our platform inventories everything it is that they're saying they have to donate. We then assign a value to everything it is because, of of course, we would have the skew, which means we know what it is and we know how much they retail for, how much it costs them. And then we typically have a weight value assigned to it. Then they push request pickup. A driver gets it. Several drivers, essentially, in the vicinity would get the alert, very similar to, like, an Uber driver. Someone accepts it. They go pick it up, and then they would be – our app would tell them who to take it to. Depending on how much food it is, the app might tell them to take it to two and three places along a certain route. And so then the food gets dropped off. Every nonprofit that gets it signs for it like they would a UPS package. Mm-hmm. And then we have an agreement in place with the nonprofits that sends the business back a donation letter. So once they sign for it, it automatic, like I'm picking up, you know, I'm getting donated 300 chicken sandwiches and whatever, whatever. They sign for it, a donation letter goes back into, let's say, Walmart's dashboard. And then Walmart on the back end, they can look up and see everything that's been donated, what are the most wasted things that they're donating, what's the tax value of everything they've donated, how many people they went to, who, you know, who they're serving, the kind of nonprofits. And then they're also able to see the environmental statistics. So we tell them for every pound they keep out of landfill, how many gallons of water that saves, how many hours of labor that helped, how many cars that could power, how much CO2 emissions they've helped to prevent from getting into the environment. So they could also use that in like their sustainability reports. Mm, they so, want to say, like, you know, we're, we're committed to zero waste. So it looks like a twofold solution, right? You're actually helping feed people, but you're also helping businesses run more efficient operations. Exactly. That's 100%. So I like to call us a triple win, like, you know, a win-win-win, a triple bottom line. We're helping the businesses feed people, which for me is priceless. Mm-hmm. But I learned early on that wasn't for the businesses to hear. That had to be, like, the last thing I told them. Yeah. Well, we help them save money and be more efficient so they're not ordering things that they're never selling anymore. And then we also help them be more sustainable. So, like, we're really helping them improve their carbon footprint, which is starting to become really important. 
last year, you guys will remember all those high school students. Remember they were walking out and they were protesting climate change. The young lady, uh, Greta, she was the Time Magazine mm-hmm. person of the year. Like, she led all these people on this this big, you know, do better on, on the environment for our climate. And what's going to happen is those high school students become college students and they start working at these companies. And these companies are going to have to start, you know, doing better by the environment because we only have one planet. And then when it's gone, it's gone. I mean, you see the waters dwindling, you know, Cape Town, for example, South Africa, huge water problems. Just, you know, it's the environment is struggling right now. I mean, the earth, everything is Right now, we're just not in a good place <laughs> with, with everything. Yeah, 2020 is... Yeah, 2020 has been tough, <laughs> yeah. But the environment is still bad. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know, and I and I probably, before starting Gooder, was very unaware of just, you know, the environmental impacts of what food waste is doing uh, to this country and to this planet. But it's a big, it's a big issue. Me, oh, gosh, sorry. Let me ask you this. Um, what's the profit margins? It, it varies. Typically, a good profit margin for Gooder is anywhere from 40 to 49% for us. And so uh, we've started a grocery delivery service. So we're like now like the free Instacart, if you will. And we just started this once coronavirus happened. So we saw that, you know, food delivery was really picking up. You know, Instacart's Amazon Prime shipped, you know, they're blowing out of the water. But we realized that there was this large segment of people who don't have credit cards. They're unbanked. They don't have access to technology, mostly senior citizens, but they're afraid to go to the grocery stores because you're telling them on the news they're the most at risk. And so we thought, what if we went and got groceries for them? And so now we started, you know, our businesses were closing, right? So everybody, the airports, the convention centers, all of our customers were no longer there. So I really thought, like, i got to make a pivot. Like, I've got to figure out how do we stay in business. And so I started to think we've got to get food to people now. And so now we sell directly to government, cities, counties, school districts, and we sell a grocery delivery service to seniors. And so we're delivering right now upwards of like 2,500 seniors a week just in Atlanta. And we charge the city or the county, and we charge them per senior, per delivery. And built into that, we call it a cost plus model. And so we have the cost of groceries, the cost of supplies, the cost of delivery, and then the plus is essentially a profit margin that keeps us operating. Um, and it's been really a successful thing, and we've, we've really gotten a lot of that business via government contracts. And, you know, I just really want to tell people that I think that that's the way to go. I just tweeted that, you know, yesterday because we got another contract for over a million dollars with a whole other city. And so many people were like, oh, government contracts, they take forever. You know, it's all this red tape and stuff. But there's not enough people that look like me that are getting these bids and actually executing on them and, like, doing what they say they're going to do. And because we back everything in technology – now we have data, so we've built a new app that every you know every morning a driver comes in. We pay everybody that works with us, even on the low end, $15 an hour is where we start them at because I never want anybody to, to need food you know, working for me. I think that would be the worst thing ever. So everyone starts at $15 an hour, um, and then we take them up from there. They come in. They get a list of everybody that they're delivering to, and it routes them along like an efficient delivery route, so an Amazon Prime delivery or like a Postmates. And then once they deliver, they are required to take a picture of the senior that proves that the senior got their food and they can add any notes about the senior in there. And now we're able to create these really compelling reports with heat maps for any city of like all the seniors, where they lived at, pictures, the food that they receive. We know their dietary restrictions. And so it's been really crazy. So we've built quite a few businesses under one umbrella 
that are all profitable. So where, like how many states is uh, Gooder running in right now? For our grocery delivery program, just Georgia. For our traditional surplus food recovery and organics recycling, now 10. We just launched Monday in New Jersey and in Philadelphia okay. with Merck Pharmaceutical Company. That's powerful. Yeah. So a couple questions. Um, the government contracts... Uh, MWBE, are you taking advantage of that? Yeah, we're MBE, we're WBE, we're DBE, um, and we're ACDBE. So we're airport concessions, DBE, disadvantaged business, uh, minority business, and we're a women business enterprise. So we take advantage of a lot of them. Jasmine not playing. Yeah, Jazz is not playing. You got to do that. I think that's the other thing people don't do. It takes time. Just yeah. like it took time to become a B Corp, but all these businesses, like this billion dollar pledge, we're going to spend more money with women and we're going to spend more money with people of color. It's the same people that always get those contracts. And so that's why you have like the Act Ones. Um, and I love, I love Janice. Her story is amazing, right? She's a billion dollar entrepreneur. She had, Act One is a billion dollar company, but it's because she learned how to really become a supplier to some really big corporations, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to play the, the long game, and it is to get in with the governments, get in with the corporations, and become a benefit to them as you benefit others. How did you How did you get in? For anybody that's not familiar, <coughs> NW, we actually did an episode about this, but this is programs that corporations and government agencies have for minority businesses, women businesses, disadvantaged businesses, stuff like that. Like, they have to have a certain amount of their budget set aside for that. So, but it's kind of broad ranging because it's like, who's not a minority? Yeah. Everybody is at this point, even like white women, like I mean, anybody. there's even 50, you know, the um, SBE, which is the one I'm doing right now, a small business enterprise. Anybody can qualify for that, no matter what color you are, as long as your business doesn't make more than 50 million a year. I'm hoping I won't be able to qualify for much longer. But for right now, I'm trying to qualify for that. And that is, you know, doing business as, with a small business. So every single city that I've, I've actually done business in has some kind of an office. So it could be like NMSDC is who we got our certification through. Uh, there's also a lot of consultants that will do the applications for you. And a lot of times it's just gathering a lot of documents. So who are all the owners? Like for me, I had to prove my, you know, my taxes. I had to, you know, show all my properties. You know, you just have to show anything that you have and like your ownership. And you basically can't be like a billionaire um, to get these certifications. Um, and then you always have to show that you own 51% of the company. So 51% of the company is woman owned or it's minority owned. Um, disadvantaged, things of that nature. But it's just really what it is. It's just doing the applications and submitting the paperwork, which is so much of the easy stuff that nobody ever does. Because, you know, it, if, if it's going to take you a week to do it, it seems like it's a long time. But think of how many papers we did and reports we did. This is no different. You just have to literally fill it out and apply for it. And then how you start to use them is you start to connect with supplier diversity or procurement people from different corporations and cities. And you go to the meetings and you, you know, you, they have a, Chick-fil-A is having a supplier diversity mixer. And you, you go and you got to start networking. You got to meet people and you got to say, this is what my business does. And this is what I'd like to do with Chick-fil-A or your company and know that relationships matter. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Some of our, I mean, we've been an MBE now for three years and we're just now like this, this new deal I just got with a pharmaceutical company is probably one of the first ones where I've been able to really say, Hey, I, I'm also an MBE, but I don't think that that's what initially got me in the door. But what it was is I met them through a women's business enterprise conference. And so they were there and it just happened to be an added plus. And I had a service that I felt like that they could use. Well, so, uh, um, so one of your partnerships uh, with the NFL, 
Um, that was interesting. And when you look at it on the surface, it's like food, NFL, how does this work? How did we force that relationship and how does it work? Yeah, so the NFL has an NFL green, which, you know, again, everybody wants to be green. Everyone, the NBA has an NBA green. Mm-hmm. So they, the Super Bowl was coming to Atlanta. I, again, registered to be a minority supplier for a Super Bowl, and sustainability was one of their initiatives. And so luckily one of my customers at the time was the convention center where a ton of events were taking place with the NFL. And so even though I wasn't in business for three years, I was very unique in that I was the only supplier that was doing this. And so that's how I was able to kind of get in a little bit ahead of the game. And, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Everybody thinks, oh, we're not a food business, right? Some of our big company customers are tech companies, and, and I've had them say, oh, you know, we're a tech business. We're not a, a food business. But I'll say, we well, have 100,000 employees. You've got all these cafeterias at all your campuses, and you feed people every day. Like, you, in essence, have a food business within your business. And so the NFL has a ton of food, so much food. Till this day, I think the Super Bowl – customer within the NFL was probably one of our largest recoveries ever. Like we had two tractor trailers full of food. Wow. So just tons of food and we recovered all the excess food from Super Bowl. Yes. So then now I, it makes sense. I saw Netflix was a partner, but like, yeah, yeah if they have these campuses, they have these offices yeah. with all films, these employees. Like Ozark is one of our customers. So we do all the Ozark film sets um, that films in Atlanta. We're trying to get Tyler Perry Studios. So if anybody knows Tyler Perry, <laughs> tell him to call us. Tyler, we're are you watching? To, yeah, Tyler, come are you on. watching? So we're trying to get all these film sets because they feed. And the, the greatest thing about why these kind of customers matter is because the kind of food we get people that are hungry. And that's, that's the, the greatest joy of it. I always laugh. When I, when I first started, I had rescued, rescued from a Turner, TNT. And I took to one of the shelters, and I just wanted to see the process. And this guy was like, oh, y'all trying to kill me today. And I was like, sir, it's just asparagus. Like, he had never had asparagus. The, the idea of, like, giving somebody food that's going to come from the higher, higher upper echelons and get down to someone who's been food insecure their whole lives. And, I mean, when we were doing the NFL, I mean, we had lamb chops, fillets. I mean, just so much stuff. And we had a chef at the Veterans Administration here in VEO, Veterans Empowerment Organization, and we had from Radio Row, NFL, all these like fillets that were never even used, like mm-hmm. just in boxes, still sealed, vacuum sealed. We got him over to the chef. He starts crying because he's like, man, I've been wanting, I wanted to do a steak dinner for them for Valentine's Day. And here we come with 200, you know, 12 ounce filet mignons. And, you know, that level of just like, that's why it matters. That's why yeah, we got to get yeah. food from the film sets because the stuff that they're feeding the actors is really good. And why should they just throw this perfectly good food away when in the same city, somebody that doesn't have a million dollars, that's not making a million dollars an episode, right. is hungry. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that actually. It's perfect leading because especially when it comes to kids, um, and it's noble to feed people that's hungry, you know, they got to eat. Uh, as DMX once said, you starve and you eat whatever's there. Like, you literally, you'll eat anything, right? But we also want to be health conscious, and we don't want to just feed people anything, right? So does that come apart into your business model as far as, like, like I said, especially in kids, like childhood obesity is a big thing, and, like, GMOs and processed foods and stuff like that. So how does that play a part as far as, like, deciding um, which food, who, what food goes to who, and, like, all right, we're trying to do like more of a healthy option, or if that's it's a really just like a ticker system. So, what we will do is if, like, so Papa John's, for example, is one of our customers, we will never give the same organization Papa John's every day of the week. 
So we would know, like, hey, they got Papa John's today. They could get sweet green tomorrow. They could get, so we try and give them more of, like, a well-rounded balance. Um, balance. But then a lot of it is just us trying to get prepared meals. So, like, the airport still is one of our largest customers. But think we would get the food. A lot of people don't know this, but Stephanie Airport only lives for 12 hours, only lives for a day. So all the prepackaged sandwich, salads, fruit cups, all that stuff is just good for a day. Even though it could be made that morning, it's only good for a day. So when we would get that to shelters and to children and families, I mean, it's really good food. So it's different salads. And I mean, we turn people on to like pho and kale. I mean, so many things that people had just never had before we were able to introduce them to. So I think a lot of it is we don't really try and go after like McDonald's. Like, for example, that's not a customer that's like, oh, my high priority, I want to get McDonald's and get all their excess food. I'd love to get Whole Foods. They throw away their hot bar every single four hours. Everything that's on the hot bar, every four hours, every four hours they throw it away. They well, just, they say they compost it, but I've talked to employees that say they throw it away. So they, you know, every four hours that goes to waste. And I just keep on thinking, like, if we could come at three hours and 30 minutes, if yeah. we could come at three hours and 42 minutes, I could get it to a nonprofit that's super close. Like, you know, or even they have the ability to, if Whole Foods wanted to, they could take it off the bar, they could blast freeze it, they could freeze it. And then I can come and get it like yeah. the next day, but they just throw it away. That was what I was thinking in my head, like the logistics of it. Is there a specific time that you send the cars to go out and pick up? Or yeah, is it just as soon as it's requested. Okay. As soon as they request it on the app, as soon as they request a pickup, we go out. Okay. So is that is that is the app free and like where did it, where where is it is it in it's the app? It's free for the customers. Okay. So it's you know, it's not because remember we inventory everything it is that they sell. Okay. So we can give them the data on it. Um, so yeah, it's it's in the app store, but you have to have you have to have like a login from us to kind of get it. So we haven't made it to where just anybody can use it yet because then it, it just becomes tricky. People can start trying to have us pick up stuff from their house. We have to really make sure that it's like a, a commercial kitchen, that it's clean, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. All that stuff matters. So we haven't made it open to every restaurant to use it. What I'd love to have is like a city says, hey, I want to end food waste in my city. I want to make your app available to every permitted food rest, food service business in the city. And then that way, we just turn it on to everybody in the city to be able to use it. So that's like a long-term goal. Um, I'm just looking for a city to say, like, we don't want people in our city to go hungry. It yeah. should be like, you know, every mayor should, that should be something that they stand on. I, f- I feel like, yeah, like we, we, we went to Los Angeles um, a few weeks back. And um, the, the homeless population is huge there. It's huge. And it was like... This I hear it's even... I hear come September, it's going to be a lot of worse. They're saying now maybe towards December, but there's still so many people that are, like, on the verge of eviction. You see the viral story of the lady. I mean, I think she raised, like, almost, like, $100,000, but she was, like, homeless for mm-hmm. her two kids in the car in California because she was evicted recently. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, good... That This sounds like a brilliant idea. Like, a city yeah. should be adopting this. Yeah, we definitely are doing a lot of... We just um, did a really big partnership with the Lakers and UCLA Health uh, where we had one of our grocery stores. We have two pop-up grocery stores at the Porsche Experience Center uh, coming up later in September in L.A., and we're trying to get out there, too. Like, we're trying, we're really having some good conversations. We were meeting with the film, the film, you know, studios, and then so much just happened, yeah. which 2020 just, just. How, did, how does, um, well, two questions. What's the overhead? Because, like, Yeah, what's your overhead? I mean, it all depends. I mean, right now we spend, you know, with all of our staff, logistics, we maybe spend $100,000 a month. So, like, but, like, what do you have to spend money on? Drivers? Drivers, food, supplies. You know, now with our grocery program, we spend a lot, a ton of money on food, a ton of money on supplies. Staff members, you know, we really, like, Gooder has a 
in our office, which you guys are always welcome to come to. We have breakfast every day for all of our team members. We do lunch every Monday, wind down Wednesday. How many employees do you have? Full-time, we have 10, and then, like, our part-time, we have about 60. Like the drivers and stuff. The drivers, those, people that work in our fulfillment Those are, like, center. contractors. Contractors and some employees, yeah. Okay. And the second question that I have is how, though, you talked about COVID a little bit, but, like, obviously everything has changed now. Like, even so movies, much. everything is, is changed with COVID. So it's affecting businesses. I'm sure it's affected your business. How, how has it affected your business, and how do you see? Because I personally don't think that we're not going back to normal. Maybe never. Definitely not anytime soon. So how, how, how are you planning going forward dealing in this new age of social distancing and restaurants being closed and short hours and stuff like that? Reduce, fit, reduce capacity. I mean, we are we're duly focused, right? So we're still selling kind of our traditional services, more so thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be more organics recycling now. Um, but we're still talking to customers. I mean, I'm still having sales meetings every single week about traditional gooder. But on the flip side, I'm really looking at this, this gooder grocery program because we're helping a lot of seniors. I mean, we're changing lives, you know, to people to get free groceries delivered to them. That's the thing that nobody talks about, right? We can be afford, we can be fortunate enough to have Instacart or Shipt or Amazon Prime, but there are hundreds and millions of people who do not have the ability to do that. 161 million people have had grocery delivery right now in the United States. 144 million have not. And that doesn't mean that they don't need it. They just don't have access to get food. So we really think that this is kind of going to be the new horizon for us, for people, for everybody who, whom for there isn't an Amazon Prime or Instacart, there could be a gooder. And so that's something that we're going to think of because the reality is no matter how much the world changes, people are still going to have to eat. And that's why food delivery is like on the rise. Quick service restaurants are seeing numbers like the Papa John's and the Pizza Hut's like you go in and you grab something really quick. If you look at those numbers, they're, they're going up. Like, it's just going up immensely. But there's still so many people who are, are going without. And so we have got to really just, you know, pivot our business model to make sure people still get access to food. Because that's never going to change. Like, I don't think, you know, if we all stop eating, we're going to just be gone. Yeah, you got to right? eat. Yeah, everybody got to eat. eat. <laughs> yeah, so everybody got to eat. Everybody, everybody, gotta everybody eat. eats. I have a children's book called Everybody, everybody Eats. I know. So I know. Yeah, yeah, children's book. Yeah, I was going there. Everybody yeah. eats. I mean, that's, that's fitting. That's our model, and that's your model, too. That's your model? That is so good. Everybody eats. We all family here. Yes, that's, that's the whole the whole idea is to teach kids, you know, that everybody needs to eat and everybody should eat, but the reality is so many people don't eat. Jazz, you're a blessing. Well, this is so dope. You guys are great. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's that's it's, it's really dope. It's really encouraging. And like you said, I mean, I think that it's dope how you can make it a business because that's our whole show is about business. We never apologize for making a profit. But you can still do good at the same time. Absolutely. For profit, for good. Because I mean, a lot, a lot of times, especially, you know, it's been a lot of talk on, like, black Twitter and stuff like that, that, like, capitalism is bad. And I think anything can be bad, anything can be good. But business, I think, is the answer to a lot of problems. Not the government, like, economics. Exactly. Business. I mean, think, think of all the people, you know, I carry a lot of weight on my shoulders, but it's positive weight. But I think about, you know, hey, I've got almost 70 employees. I'm marching towards 100. I'm about to hire more people next week, like who, who are dependent on us to do good and us to operate. And, you know, and I'll, I want to pay them well. And I want them to, you know, have an investment in a piece of good. or I want them to have an ownership in what we're building. And so, you know, you can do good and you can do well. And, and why not? Right. Because 
I could be a, a Zuckerberg and just be having people like and share stuff on Facebook, but what does that really do for the betterment of, of the world? And so if, if anybody's going to make money doing it, it should be us. And if you look at, you know, all the, like, nonprofits is a huge business. Like, you know, look at Red Cross, right? How much billions of dollars do they bring in? And then when you go and you, you start to unpeel the layers, like 90% of it will go to administration and 10% will go to the actual cause. Look what happened with Haiti. I think they got, they raised like $8 billion and built like 100 houses. And so, you know, I'm like trying to change that narrative. Like I believe cities and governments and foundations should give us the money to solve their problems because we really prove that we do it. And then, yeah, we have a profit. We have a business that we're trying to keep in operation. But if I one day am out of business because everybody's eaten, then I'll be okay with that. You know, like that's fine for me. Whereas most other, you know, organizations, they don't want to do that because they, they need people to be hungry for forever so we could keep donating to them at the grocery store register when they be like, hey, do you want to donate, you know, $10 and write your name on this piece of, you know, paper? Yeah. Like a lot of people want these problems to be in existence so that they can exist. I really want to figure out how can I solve it so that I can go solve the next problem. There you have it. A blessing. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure, Jasmine. There's a reason she's the number one tech innovator in the city of Atlanta. <laughs> There's a reason. Super dope. Y'all just heard it. <laughs> dope, man. I appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate sharing. you guys having me out. And, you know, I just want to say, let your passion, you know, kind of have a profit for you. And I think, I really think that's what I did. You know, I was cooking for people out of my kitchen, a one-bedroom apartment, southwest Atlanta, you know, loading up my car, having my friends come over, loading up their car, and I figured out a way to make money by doing something that's helping other people. And so I just encourage anybody to do that because there's you have nothing to lose. Like if good or closes tomorrow, God forbid, I'll still be able at the end of my life to stand before God and say, you know what, people were hungry and I fed them. And that, that's something that in a lot of things that you do, you know, you won't be able to say, yeah, I made a profit doing it, but I still I still did what I said I was going to do. Doing the work. Yeah. Doing the work. Absolutely. Cool. How can the people um, find out more information about what you got going on, social media handles, all that? Yeah, let's, let's Definitely. Know. So check us out at Gooder Co. on Facebook and Instagram. We are The Gooder Co. on Twitter. I'm Jasmine Crow on everything, so you can connect with me via LinkedIn. And, yeah, you know. Feed more, waste less. That's the model. That's the mission. That's the model. That's the model. The mantra. Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Y'all know that's our proud to pay program. Obviously, tier four or five members, you have access to EYL University, the number one online school. We have a new member on Patreon. Shout out to Crystal. Shout out to Crystal. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to Crystal. That's a hometown member. So shout out to you and everybody that's been supporting the merch on EarnYourLeisure.com. We got some special things for you in, in, in store. So be on the lookout for that. For sure, for sure. And um, once again, shout out to the great city of Atlanta. It's like a second home for us. Anytime we come out here, it's love. Shout out to Bam for making this happen. My God. This is a great interview. Shout out to Mike, too, for setting up the EYL Studios in Atlanta. We've been, yeah, we've been sure. running through shout this. Out to team, <laughs> shout out to Rich. Shout out to Jamal. Shout out to everybody that plays a part in Earn Your Leisure. And uh, don't forget the merch. Merch is on EarnYourLeisure.com right now. So. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.